Okay, welcome back to series three of Recruitment Journeys, the very first podcast ever dedicated to the Australian recruitment industry. Brought to you by me, Pete Watson, and Mint Recruitment, which is my R2R business. Uh, We've been finding great jobs for great recruiters since 2004. Now then, on Recruitment Journeys this time around, we're doing things a little bit differently. Instead of just having the traditional one-on-one conversations, we're inviting two recruitment identities onto every episode. So we can get differing opinions, alternate points of view, a bit of banter, vibrant discussion. And who knows, we might even get some heated debate and who doesn't love a bit of heated debate. So two for the price of one. We'll talk about all things recruitment and also try to get to know our guests on a personal level too. In episode one, we are talking to Simon Hare from Precision Sourcing and James Hone from Bluefin Resourcing. And we find out what they learned from COVID about their staff, about business and about themselves personally. Let's get straight into it. James and Simon, good afternoon. How are you? Good, Pete. How are you, mate? I'm very well. Simon, are you well? Very well, yeah. Very well indeed. Thanks. Looking forward to this. Good, man. Well, well, you've just told me you've been preparing all day for this, Simon. James has told me he's given me this zero thought. Yeah. (laughs) Probably the story of our lives, huh? The difference, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's slightly different. Right, chaps, to give you your formal introductions, Simon Hare from Precision Sourcing and James Hone from Bluefin Resources. Thank you very much for, for coming on to Recruitment Journeys. This is, this is our third series of Recruitment Journeys and uh, trying something a bit different this season, chaps, and you are, you are the guinea pigs to some degree. Um, I was hoping to do it with people who have never met each other so I could do this like cheesy introduction thing but you two fellas know each other you go fishing and everything don't you yeah we've um we've played football against each other yeah our kids go to the same school yeah and, and uh yeah we've had a few sessions on the uh, the bluefin boat on my boat anyway james did you know did you know when i when i hosted the uh, recruitment world cup a couple of years ago simon Hare was the only person to get a yellow card <laughs> doesn't surprise me yeah yeah. Such a lovely guy, but you get him on a soccer pitch. The fiery side of the hair comes out. Does he change it? I took my um, 10-year-old son to watch me play at the weekend for the first time over 35s. And I had to literally get him in a headlock to come and watch because it's like an 8 o'clock kickoff on a Sunday morning. And afterwards he said, Dad, is there always fights every week? And I was like, uh, yeah, there is, yeah. And he was like, can I come next week? So uh, uh, there you especially, go. Especially when you let, you let, you let the Geordies on the pitch, right? The Mackhams, the Mackhams, remember, I'm not a Geordie. What I do remember, though, is that you, you, you had your socks perfectly pulled up to the exact correct height. Perfect oh, white socks, perfect oh. presented footballer. Always been like that. Look at me today. Collars pinned down. Your inspiration. <laughs> right, I digress. Right, Jab's getting into it. Um, recruitment journeys. What we're going to do, I've been trying to avoid the, uh, the word three-way, but I can't really think of an alternative word. This is a three-way, and we're going to talk about... All things recruitment related, not all things recruitment related, we're going to focus on one particular subject. And I know we're all a little bit sick of talking about COVID, but I also think it's it's important to, now that it's hopefully somewhat behind us, I think it's important to, to, to have a look in, at the learnings from COVID. And, uh, and that's what we'll be talking about today, what we've actually learned from COVID. But um, I've already given you chaps a bit of an introduction earlier on in the podcast, but in your own words, would you mind introducing yourself to, to the listeners? Simon, you first, please. So I'm Simon Hare. I am one of the owners and directors of Precision Sourcing. Started life 
after university and teaching, believe it or not, and decided that was for me, but just not at that moment in time. And found myself at the door of Harvey Nash in London and Mayfair. And the lady who hired me there is now my business partner and dear friend, Jill. So here I am on the other side of the world. And I've been here, what, 12 years now and um, doing my thing. Loving it. I didn't know that. I didn't know that Jill hired you. She did. It was the first offer I got. I just basically decided that I wanted to be in recruitment and I wanted to live in London. That was the big driver. I loved London. And, you know, you get two weeks off as a teacher over Easter. So this rec-to-rec just, you know what they're like. They just smashed my diary with um, interviews, with, with catering recruitment, banking recruitment, you name it, teaching recruitment, even everything. And I just said to myself, I'll take the first offer I get. And um, oh. yeah, <laughs> that paid off. Yeah. Uh, a a, a in Mayfair. You were possibly the first Mackham to land in Mayfair, I would have thought. I'd go out for like lunch on Bond Street and stuff and grab a sandwich from Tesco. And you'd see like Jamie Oliver, George Michael, Liam Gallagher, Paolo De Canio, Hugh Grant. Like you'd just see all these stars. And I, I remember it was just bizarre. Loved it. <laughs> Uh, James Hone, for anybody who doesn't know, who are you? I'm James Hone. I'm the founder and CEO of Bluefin Resources. Uh, established in 2003, sold in uh, 2017. 15, was it? I think so, yeah. I have no idea, Simon knows more than you, James. Uh, 2015, sold in 2015, that's correct. Uh, still the CEO, uh, and uh, yeah, also on the board of Outsourcing Oceana. Outsourcing Tokyo is the uh, the business that I sold Bluefin to back in 2015. Yeah, but you're still here putting in a shift on a daily basis, James. Still here in between fishing trips, and uh, yeah, <laughs> still have the fire in the belly. Fire in the belly. Well, chaps. Um, if you haven't heard any of the, the previous recordings, in fact, James, you've, you've been on one. I, I kind of started each episode with a question, how did you break into recruitment? But I very quickly realized, well, not, not quickly, eventually I realized that 99% of people all just fell into recruitment. So I've decided to, to, to get rid of that question because the, board, the answers are getting quite boring. Um, yeah. But in order to, to give the listeners a little bit of an understanding as to who you are and find out a little bit more about you on a personal level before we get into the crux of the chat. I've got four questions that I'd like to hit you each with. And uh, I'll start with you, Simon. Who do you most admire in the recruitment industry and why? That'll be a person, yeah? Uh, well, or a dog. If there's, if there's a dog that you, that you admire in the recruitment industry, go nuts. Uh, could have been a business. No, I think I... Yes, a person, sorry. Like if I didn't see this person, I'd probably get in a lot of trouble. It's got to be Greg Savage, hasn't it? Like, literally, how old is the guy? And he innovates, keeps going, changes. He's massive in that social media world. He packs out huge venues, doesn't he? And I think he's uh, he's an impressive guy. And he's helped our business a lot over the years. And I think he's, uh, yeah, from my point of view, if I, if I had to pick one person, I'd go for Greg. Yeah, I think he's, look, there's a few, there's a few kind of iconic legendary names that, that, that kick about our industry, right? And, and Greg's name is always is always included in it. But for me, Savage is the bloke who, um, he keeps giving back. He does, yeah. I mean, he knows, he knows his shit, right? He's been around the block and he's got the t-shirt, but he keeps giving back. Um, he keeps showing up literally every day and he keeps giving back. So uh, loves I'd, it. I'd agree with it. Yeah, he does love it. 
he was doing like 14 hour days during COVID. And I mean, he charges like a wounded bull. But I mean, he's, uh, yeah, he's passionate. He loves it. He's mad for it. And he does so much for free for us as well, to be fair. And he'll turn up if we've got a conference, anything where we need him to speak or get involved or training or anything. Like he's, he, he loves it. He really does. Mad for it. James, who do you admire in the recruitment industry? And you can't say me, you know, just, just try and keep I, it neutral. Actually, um, oh, there's a few people like the, the, the Morgan and Banks people were obviously uh, exceptional in terms of what they did with Morgan and Banks and Talent 2. Um, yeah. Yeah, not many people grow two businesses to the sizes that they built and uh, did two mega deals. So those two. Chairman Doy, uh, the, uh, the founder of Outsourcing Inc., Again, I mean, you know, he's been doing this for a long, long time. He set outsourcing up from nothing, uh, listed. I mean, he's still a, a major shareholder and he's taken that to a global business, uh, one of the biggest recruitment businesses in the world. Um, and he is still extremely passionate about uh, recruitment, staffing and the outsourcing business globally. So, I mean, he's an exceptional character and uh, he doesn't speak any English, uh, but I have a very good relationship with him. I think we're sort of kindred spirits. So I think he'd be number one for me. So how, how, do, how do business, sorry, Simon, how do business meetings work then, James? Obviously through a translator. Basically, yeah. 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 You ever worried that your Yorkshire accent is, isn't being translated properly? No, you just know like what, what someone's about and I think we we both sort of intrinsically know what we're about and then someone's just sort of you know yeah translating yeah. Uh, but we understand each other and I think there's a mutual respect which is yeah I like it yeah he's an incredible guy good stuff chairman doy I was gonna say, how old is he James is he to, to have accomplished all of that in his career he must be how old is he uh I don't know actually um probably late Late 50s, maybe. Wow. Maybe early 60s, actually. Very good. Very good. All right, Simon. You can't say footballer. If you hadn't had a career in, uh, in recruitment, what career would you like to have had? Good question. Um, you know what? The more I read these special forces, SAS books and stuff like that, and I've been watching, was it Who Dares Wins and stuff over the Christmas holidays, I would just love to have um, been in the forces, I reckon. I wish I'd just not done the A-levels, not done the university stuff and just kind of joined the Marines or something. I could, see you, I could see you in the forces. You wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have to get your hair cut. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Good to go. You've got the physique for it as well, mate. Oh, thanks. No well, there's a compliment. There's a compliment I wasn't expecting. Yeah. James Owen, what would you have been if you, wouldn't have, you hadn't been CEO of Bluefin Resources? Uh, well, when I was a kid, I, I was uh, I loved like nature, the natural world, David Attenborough, David Bellamy. Um, Bellamy. David Bellamy went really small. Do you remember that? You yeah, I remember him, yeah. Big blades of grass. Love that, yeah. Um, so maybe something along those lines, like a David then, Bellamy. I did get offered auditions for Biker Grove twice, by the way, but I turned it down. Yeah. Yeah, something. Yeah. You could have been the, the original Ant and Deck. Could have been. Could have Own been. and hair. Turned it down, peer pressure. It was embarrassing when that your name comes out on the tan at school. Can you report to Mrs. Foster's um, classroom at lunchtime for auditions for Bite of Growth? You just got absolutely rinsed. So like twice I was offered it and yeah, knocked it back. 
There'll be lots of Australians now Googling bike agro. Bike agro. <laughs> um, okay, Simon, what's the biggest mistake that you've ever made in your recruitment career? <clears throat> like, so, as a recruitment owner, so I'll break this down into being a recruitment owner and then as a recruiter. So as a recruitment owner, it would have to be, we entered into some terms of business on a government panel that absolutely killed us. Our model wasn't right in the way we set up as a business. And I know other businesses such as James has thrived on the same panel, but it just killed us. And in hindsight, we should add more help around kind of how we model that and the opportunity and what it might look like if it becomes more of our business, if that makes sense. And I think we should have just been brave enough to walk away. So definitely entering on that sort of government panel killed us back in the day. And it took us a long time to come back from that and culturally it just killed us for a few years. Um, how long did you sit in that arrangement before you did something about it? Probably took eight months before it hit the bottom line and our margin just tanked. It went from like being 17% of our business to suddenly 56% of our business, I think. And our, our margin went from sitting up at 18% down to 8% really like within eight months. Yeah, right. And it was like, wow. So we would, our sales was going through the roof. Our our cost was going through the roof, and our um, yeah profit was going down. Yeah. So it's strange when our turnover was going through the roof, and you're like, that's kind of a good thing, but it was bad quality business for us. So um, we should have walked away from that. And we knew then, right? You've got to we've got to get rid of this. But then it's kind of you need help, and that we were talking about you, James, before you came on the call. We talking oh. about like you know you you run that business. I know you've got a leadership team. Mm. You you certainly were the only owner so you've had to make a lot of these decisions yourself and um mm. you know i had jill and rick and a leadership team but it was greg greg savage who helped us with like this and you know you've got to walk away from this and this is how you do it he helped us through that process of how we do it so imagine telling your staff by the way we're kind of firing our biggest client if you like at that moment in time so mm. didn't go down very well but um as a recruiter i think my biggest regret would have been um I worked at a very large recruitment company in, in London and I replied all on an email and didn't realize. And I told, I told uh, a friend how much I was in love with my then my now wife and what she meant to me. And she was the one and all that. We hadn't been together very long and it went to the whole company. Yeah, so that was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> she didn't know how I felt either. So yeah, that was, that was a dark day. But did that hang on? Did that, how did that go against you? That didn't work against you, did it? They, they would have just loved the romance. Yeah, but when you've got like 400 colleagues reading your, I'm telling her like my, one of my best mates all about this girl I've met and she's the one and like what I think of her and kind of what we've been up to. Um, I won't go into detail, but I went to the whole business now. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty brutal. Embarrassing. Yeah. James, big mistake you've ever made. Uh, yeah, I think I've mentioned this in uh, our prior interview recruitment journeys um but my biggest mistake without doubt was when uh yeah we'd come out of the gfc in 2009 strong like real strong and i uh, thought right we're going to own the world now and uh, rapidly grew d doubled office space in uh, sydney which was expensive set up a new office in melbourne hired lots of people and um yeah it went horribly wrong very quickly Overhead costs were too high, hired the wrong quality of people. Um, yeah, it did not have the desired effect of growing the business and growing the bottom line. In fact, the, the opposite happened. Um, so that was a, yeah.
the rude awakening and not a good experience and without doubt my biggest mistake of all time but also my biggest learning of all time as well so i haven't replicated that yeah issue. so we, we we all we all know uh the the success story of bluefin so clearly you got things back on track but how how much time did you for want of a better word waste with that particular mistake did it put you back two years or six months uh, oh no probably more like really like three wow so you said once it starts dropping it like drops like so you use lose a bit of a year then a full year and then you're coming out picking up so it takes a while to get back to where you were so the whole sort of like dip was over more than two years yeah cost millions of dollars in profit yeah so that's, that's fundamentally that's that's three years of fishing that you that you missed out on you know that's life isn't it you know what i mean it's like you learn from those things and you know we came out of that and then i'd like whatever it's been like seven back-to-back record years from the learning so yeah. sometimes you've got to take the pain to learn the lessons to get accelerated exponential growth there you uh, go. but you know i don't want to relive that it wasn't a very nice experience that's for sure pretty bloody stressful and then last question, chaps, before we get into the, the learnings from COVID, if um, you're both dads and, uh, and if your children approached you and said, right, dad, want to get into recruitment, and uh, after you'd spent three hours trying to convince them not to do so, what would be the number one piece of advice that you would give them as they entered the recruitment industry? Simon? I actually think two of my kids out of the three would be pretty good at it. The, the youngest is uh, probably a bit too young to analyze that at the moment but definitely my oldest daughter would be good at it. and james's too as well definitely um i would say find a, the best business and find the best recruiter within that business and just do everything they tell you to do and more and i think i was fortunate when i got into recruitment in london that harvey nash was in my in my mind anyway a very good business and i ended up just being sat next to jill who was an absolute weapon and like I would literally hang off her every word and do everything she told me to do, and it's worked out all right for me. So that would be my advice. Mm. Yeah, get a mentor, James. Um, yeah, I mean, if they were a hundred percent committed to a, a career in recruitment, I would say to them uh, that resilience and uh, absolute dedication are the things that you're going to need to get through it. Because, yeah. There are going to be days where you just want to stop doing it because it's too hard. You're going to get so many knockbacks. But if you're 100% believe in yourself and you want it, then you're going to have to get through those throughout your entire career because it doesn't stop. Um, so I think that would probably be my biggest piece of advice is that the resilience to get through the downs and the dedication just to keep going, doing the right things all of the time. And if they do those things, then they will be successful. James, would you be happy if your kids pursued a career in recruitment? I would be happy. Uh, I'd be happy with whatever my children want to do. Yeah. If recruitment is it, then fantastic. If it's something else, then fantastic. It's like whatever they want to do, I get my 100% support. Yeah. My eldest asked me the other day if I'd be happy if he, if he uh, went to be a plumber. Yeah. Uh, so, mate, I'd be absolutely excited. As long as you did it to the best of your ability and you loved it, I don't, I don't really care what, what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much work for tradies out here. You can't get them bloody turn up. Have a good life, eh? 
<laughs> They're out fishing with Jens home. Okay, so I just want to break away from the chat just for two minutes to bring you an important message from one of our sponsors, Hoxo Media. Now, if you've been living under a rock for the last 12 months, I will tell you who Hoxo are. They are the world's leading content marketing agency specifically for the recruitment industry. Hoxo are currently working with well over 250 recruitment agencies globally and about 3,000 recruitment consultants. And they are helping those recruiters build LinkedIn brands that open more opportunities by following a proven methodology daily. Now in 2021, the hugely successful Hoxo Academy is changing. They've launched an eight week personal brand launch program, which you can roll out right across your whole business. The Academy is aimed at helping traditional recruiters who have typically relied on outdated outbound calls to attract candidates and clients. And it helps those who often lack the knowledge of how to use LinkedIn for anything other than posting jobs and might struggle with both ideas and confidence when it comes to producing content. Post COVID-19, we all know that the world and our industry is now truly digital. The modern recruiter needs to have a unique and consistent LinkedIn presence that offers value to their community and drives opportunities inbound. So the Hoxo Academy helps every recruiter in your agency achieve this in just eight weeks. They are enrolling a new cohort of training at the start of each calendar month. Now, here's the good bit. The first 50 customers that sign up in 2021 get the chance to enroll unlimited users onto the program for 12 months at no extra cost. So if you've got 50 or 500 consultants now and you plan to hire more throughout the year, you can rest assured that they will all get the training they need to build a brand that wins business on LinkedIn. So please click the link attached to this episode or direct message me on LinkedIn to find out how your business can join the Hoxo Academy. On a personal note, I personally did the Hoxo Academy myself in the height of COVID and it absolutely changed my business. I made $60,000 across two months inbound inbound business when people basically just rang me and said, I've seen your stuff on LinkedIn, please help me find a job. So if it worked for me, a rec to rec in the height of COVID, I'm pretty sure it could work for you too. So check it out. Back to the chat. Right then, learnings from COVID. Um, as I said earlier, we're all, we're all to a degree sick of talking about COVID and it's not necessarily uh, a distant memory, but it's, it's certainly becoming that way. And I'm, I'm keen to, to hear from you chaps what you've learned from COVID, I want to focus on three areas. I want to find out what you, uh, what you learned about your people during COVID. And I want to find out what you learned about business during COVID. Not necessarily your business, but business. What, what business lessons did you get through courtesy of COVID? And then finally, I want to find out what you learned about yourself, uh, which is a bit deep. And you might have to go a bit deep. You might have to look inwards. And, and tell me what you uh, discovered about yourself during COVID. But uh, again, Simon, I'll start with you, if you don't mind. What did you learn about your people during COVID? Yeah, that a lot. <clears throat> I think the one, <coughs> I think trust is the word. I, I, I'm, I was a pretty old school leader as such in, you know, cats away, the mice play. You can't see them, they're probably not working. Um, like one of those old school um, recruitment leaders, because that's the way I've been managed and led, you know, and you kind of, you replicate that with your staff. But for me, we were kind of forced into this working from home scenario. The tech was all set up. That was all good. But I had to put my trust in them and they had to put their trust in, in us as a leadership team. 
And I was really worried about the resilience levels because this generation, they haven't been through a, a GFC or a downturn. And I was, I was fearing the worst. And um, I, I've been blown away by the resilience levels and how they adapted. And now, as you know, we've got this model where we're 50% from home and um, four day, five day a week. And I've just been blown away. Yeah. So you've actually changed your business model, you know, your, 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 your structure around when your people need to be in the office based on that trust that you've discovered. Can you, can you tell us what you've yeah. done? So to put it in a, we've stumbled across, I suppose, and the equation that works for us. So if you walked into our business today compared to 12 months ago, it's a completely different feel, the energy, the, the performance, the productivity, it's completely different. And it's all because we've stumbled across this solution off the back of COVID that we probably would never have got to. And, um, we were forced into trusting them and it worked. So to put it into context, if we have, if the next five months of this financial year are like the last seven months, we'll have a record year in terms of margin coming in and profit. Um, so like we stumbled across it and it works. So we're like, why not keep this four day, five day, but pay the team for five days, but um, they're only obliged to work for, actually, let me rephrase that. They'll be paid for five days, but they're obliged to work and do whatever it takes to achieve their targets and goals and outcomes, if that makes sense. Um, but we've got one girl, she'll, she'll bill over 800 grand at Abbey, and um, she only works three days a week. She's got kids. So I've just been blown away by the fact that, you know, you give these people flexibility and trust and, and you give them the support and like they are a really resilient bunch and a proper team. Like they, they've become closer and, and a real team, you know? So as a, as a leader, Simon, that must give you this sense of uh, this, oh, this, this, this peace of mind. You know, if you've spent the last 10 years stressed out about whether they're working hard and just because you're not in the room and suddenly you've just embraced this trust, you, you must feel better in yourself. So, you know, when James was telling you his story just there about riding this wave and coming at the JFC and smashing it and hiring people and like, I'm just paranoid because we've been hurt. In similar ways to James, you know, you, all it takes is one bad egg. You hire one bad person. We had somebody start on Monday, funny enough, our first person um, kind of in 12 months and just paranoid really about making the same mistakes and just checking yourself and thinking, right, how have we got here and why we've got here and what is it that we're doing well and that we need to keep doing and adapting and just, I suppose, just doing the basics, right? And just making sure it's hiring for us really. Yeah. Really got to be careful with who we hire because all it takes is one, as James knows. And so it's up to you, Pete. You've got to find us some good people, man. Yeah, Pete, what are you doing? Saturday, <laughs> you're doing this when you should be out there. Head <laughs> you're doing too many bloody podcasts. <laughs> and uh, to be fair to James, that's where he's done well. When, when over the years, he's hired really, really well. And he's, I know he's took some people from the likes of S3 in the past and stuff, good businesses. And all it takes is you, you hire one good person who does well. And the friends here and they want to come and then they do well and then the friends want to come and james has done that really well over the years so, Thanks. yeah so james you've got a you know you've got a sizable business what is it across across the states is it 80 90 people at the moment simon will probably know more than me but um <laughs> 68 i think something like that yeah cool so what did you learn about your people james Simon, like trust was a big one. Obviously, you know, COVID's a big game changer in terms of how you work. So trust was a big one. 
Um, empowerment was a big one as well. Like I think it was important to give everyone a say in how things panned out and how the working styles and rhythms changed as COVID changed and making sure people had a say in that because I obviously wanted to get people back into the office as quickly as possible and get that buzz back and culture back and that sort of critical mass. But at the same time, you know, you obviously had to be very empathetic about what everyone was going through and it was different for everyone. So empowering people so they had a say in what was happening, I think was really important. Um, communication as well. Like obviously communication is important all the time, but during a crisis, I learned how critical it was in terms of like, it had to be continuous, like what was happening. They wanted to hear from me. They wanted to know what was going on through lots of different channels. Uh, and the power of that communication was, whether it was good or bad or whatever it was, people just wanted to hear it. And uh, they wanted to hear it from me as the CEO and the leader, because uh, that gave people sort of comfort and, and stability. So uh, I think that was also, uh, a big learning about how important clear and consistent communication was through challenging times. Um, and also just, you know, how, I mean, I know I've got amazing people, but how amazing they really are in, 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 in a really tough time and how people adapted to it. Like my people were just incredible. I was just so proud of what, how they got through it and, you know, how, you know, they united and brought everyone together. It was, yeah, it was beautiful to see actually. Um, and um, yeah, it made me proud of being the leader of Bluefin. We, 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 all, we all talk about the strength and the resilience of recruiters, but there would have been some recruiters who, who I'm getting off topic slightly, it's just occurred to me, there would have been some recruiters in your businesses um, who might've struggled. Um, what, what did you do in those, in those instances? Did you, did you kind of focus in on them and put an arm around them and, and guide them through it? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone gets support to get through what they're going through. Um, but obviously, at the same time, everyone has accountability to do what they need to do to get through it as well. And yeah, you know, the vast majority of cases that, you know, every most people got through it, but you know, some didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So look, you're both, um, you're both of a certain vintage that this is, this is right. Not this, this is not your first rodeo in terms of market downturns. Yeah. GFC being the obvious one. But um, can, you, can you tell us what you learned about business, what business lessons you received courtesy of COVID that you maybe didn't experience in, in previous times? Simon? There's two, really. I think, first of all, having that large spread clients across different industries and different sectors. Like we've done a lot of work over the years, last two or three years on like account plans and identifying opportunities in different businesses and different sectors. And it's kind of spread maybe now across six to eight main clients. And I think that helped us. You know, if we were just in Qantas or hospitality, we would have got absolutely smashed. I probably wouldn't be here doing this. Eh? And um, I think the fact that we had this spread of clients across different industries and sectors, that really helped us absorb kind of what came in February, sorry, March, April. Um, and then it will be terms of business. We've walked away from a lot of business and we've pushed back a lot and negotiated hard. We were in negotiations for over 12 months with one of Australia's most iconic clients who one of our big clients. 
And like that has helped us be the business we are today, you know, having those terms in place. It's really important how you collect cash, how quickly you collect cash, and that you get paid and rewarded a fair margin for what you do, even you know the, like nothing hurts more than when one of your contractors goes perm and you don't get a fee that you feel is justified. In in my mind, contractor perm is where we get screwed in this industry because it's it's you place somebody who's a um, adding value to that business and the one that's so good that they're getting to permanent. You should be rewarded. Then, eh? like if you yeah. rent, if you rent a property and you want to buy it, you still have to pay full fee or um, pay full price. It doesn't get deducted, and that is my big bear in this industry where clients turn around and say, you know, we'd like to get them permanent. You don't get a decent enough fee or you get no fee sometimes. I think it's, yeah, that hurts. So yeah, it will be terms of business and it will be having a variety of clients across different industries. That that was my big learning where I was like, right, we're onto something here. We need to keep pushing along and pushing back with clients. Just basically don't do ship business and, and work with a variety of clients. Yeah, very good. James Home. What did you? What business lessons did you learn, courtesy of COVID nineteen? Hmm. It didn't actually. It, I mean, obviously, it was very different to the GFC and that sort of downturn we had a couple of years after the the, the GFC and financial services. It didn't really feel that different to those. Really, it sort of almost felt like, well, yeah, it's different. You know, it's a pandemic, and so. I suppose what it did is the lessons learned from those prior downturns and the things that we put in place after that, like Simon said, like diversification of clients, different industries, you know, having a much stronger contract base, um, having high performers, you know, good staff retention, you know, all those sorts of things. Like when you put those in place, when your downturn comes along, and obviously COVID was a downturn, that you could you navigate through that downturn a lot more effectively, and you obviously come out of it a lot more effectively. So I suppose it was quite uh, you know reinforcing in a way that our prior lessons from other downturns and what we how we adapted the business served us very well through COVID. Um, so that was sort of affirmation. But I think that the, le the lessons were, and it comes down to what the lessons about the people was around the sort of the value of communication and the importance of that. And also the, um, yeah, flex, you know, we've always been a flexible place to work, but yeah, I mean, that's shown that you can have very flexible work environment and still perform at a high level. So you I think- Do you think it was worse than the GFC? No. The GFC was brutal for us personally. GFC was a nightmare. Wow, this was just more. It was just. I think the GFC you just knew what was happening. It was just a long haul. It was just brutal. Whereas this was just changing every day, wasn't it? What was going on, and it was just just bizarre. Like to the point that you're worried about your own personal health eh? and the virus, and you're worried about your family and your colleagues and friends, and just bizarre. Mm. It was just changing all the time. But I think the government were amazing with the stimulus and. And right. Australia's been amazing. I mean, yeah. what a great place to be during COVID. Not just to be, to live, but to do business. Like, well, having said that, Melbourne's been an absolute nightmare. So I'd probably take Melbourne out of that because that was an absolute mm, yeah. bomb site. Um, it was literally a bomb site, yeah. yeah. I won't, won't off, off about that, but bloody ridiculous. Um, 
Yeah. Well, Simon, are you are you saying that COVID, in your mind, COVID was worse than GFC? I think in terms of yeah, because it was we've never worked through a pandemic before, so it was a little bit like the GFC was just especially with James where he does a lot of financial business. I think it was just like that was just tough in terms of like it's got head down slog and manage your cost and it's going to pick up at some point be ready whereas I think there was a lot of moving parts um with the pandemic and a lot of fear like some of the reporting from the press was just disgrace really wasn't it the clickbait and and I think it was um yeah just brutal but I've been massively just I can't believe how quickly it's come back though the economy and stuff it's just yeah, I didn't expect to be sitting here now talking about what we've been talking about I think it's amazing and that's down to, I think the the resilience of some of the industries and sectors and businesses that we've got but it's that government stimulus eh? that creates confidence when you look at the markets and how they're up and in the equity markets it's just bizarre so what do you um do what, what do you think 2021 looks like do you think we've got a, a tough 12 months ahead of us or do you think it's going to explode halfway through the year this is going to be a belting year this one really yeah. i think yeah radar like i've been my recruitment radar has been developed over many, many years, and it's it's usually pretty good. I mean, it's sending out all these signals that are saying 2021 is going to be a belter. Yeah, I think, and it's partly because you know you, it's been so bad that it just feels good anyway. But I think you're right. Like we did a survey of all of our clients across the three markets that we work, and it came back like super positive about hiring for this year, like. And I was super positive back in the last year until obviously Northern Beaches went into a lockdown. Mm. But um, it's Northern Beaches, eh? Yeah. But I, I came back to work in January and I've never ever come back after a Christmas break and seen like literally every recruiter has got so much work on and interviews happening and like contracted numbers growing and perm more margin than ever and more placements. It's just like long may it continue. That would explain. That would explain why none of them are out there looking for jobs. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's just you've been asleep. Mate. <laughs> You're busy doing this, Pete. <laughs> the clients are like, this is the new norm. Like, you know, yeah. so much volatility and uncertainty last year, and there is to a certain degree of that this year. But um, I think organizations and clients now are just accepting that this is the new norm and that we you know everyone has to continue on and do business yeah. um, part of that is acceptance that there is this uncertain still uncertainty and a bit of volatility but we've got to keep doing business keep doing business that means we've got to hire and um yeah, yeah like simon says like you know working jobs on pipeline is looking really good already this year I reckon we'll be having a record four-week period in the not-so-distant future. Good yeah. to be here. I think our biggest challenge is having that, like the workforce, eh, James? I think you're, you, you've got a good business there with plenty of recruiters, but imagine there'd be smaller businesses than, than ours that have got so much work coming in they can't handle it, and then how, how can they hire and get people on board quickly enough? Yeah, you, yeah. You think of the businesses that let people go last year or people who've moved on. Yeah. Work so quickly. A lot of severe cutting last last year from some some firms, and uh, yeah, they'll they'll be wanting to hire. I mean, for me, that's you know, that's always been one of our biggest bottlenecks is we can't find enough great recruiters. Pete, this is this is backfiring in so many ways. Yeah. But but the but the interesting from a rectorect perspective. Any good rectorects out there? Give me a call. <laughs> <laughs>
I'll just edit that bit out. No, I won't. I'll leave it in. Uh, the, well, the interesting thing is, you know, on, the, on that point, you know, so many recruiters have left the industry, right? Uh, yeah. So many of so many of so many young recruiters have said, "Nah, this is not the career for me." So many old recruiters have said, "Right, this is my chance to exit." A lot of recruiters have gone back to the UK. A lot of recruiters in the UK can't get back, can't get into Australia. A lot have gone internal. So yeah. the the industry is going to have to feed itself with Australian talent, yeah. and I think recruitment businesses yeah. like yourselves are going to have to. Yeah, get creative about how you bring more more Australians into the into the industry. Yeah, I think there's something in this for you, Pete, like a new TV show. Australia's got recruitment talent. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where so you, they come on. So when they walk onto stage and yeah. they have to they have to conduct a client interview. Business development line. Yeah, they have to do a cold call. Yeah. In front of Simon Cowell, in front of James Owen and Simon Hare. <laughs> so just breaking away from the conversation for one more minute just to bring you another quick message from our other sponsor Vincere the recruitment weapon for progressive recruitment firms so Vincere is an all-in-one platform that covers your front middle and back office recruitment operations from BD applicant tracking rostering timesheets invoicing internal chat all the way through to battle-tested analytics and dashboards Vincere's vision is to build the features that other CRMs outsource to third parties or a marketplace. So if your current recruitment tech stack has become a debt stack, or even worse, a Franken stack, then Vinny will bring everything into one place. Vincere is Aussie owned and is run by a team of successful ex-recruiters. So if you're currently using Bullhorn, JobAdder or the like, but are looking for a new breed tech partner, speak to Vincere. No matter what your recruitment journey is, whether it's contract, temp, exec search, or perm, if you're a subscriber to this podcast, then you can get an exclusive offer from the Vincere team. Simply visit www.vincere.oo slash mint. Back to the chat. Right, chaps, last question before we wrap it up. Bit of a personal one. Look inwards. I'm keen to find out what, you've, what, you, what you learned about yourself during COVID, not, not business, not recruitment. What did you learn about yourself as a, as a, as a human? Simon. Silence. Definitely learned about yeah, clearly, clearly not much. As, as James said, I'm obviously a physical specimen. Thanks for that, James. And um, spent a lot of time in the gym and exercising over the years, but probably neglecting the brain and the head. And uh, yeah. like, as I mentioned earlier, I spent a lot of time, I must have read every article about COVID in March and April and even May and didn't sleep very well. And, and then I got introduced to meditation and the powers and, you know, people saying, you know, you don't just exercise and train your, your body. You should be training your, your brain as well. And, and so I definitely, I, I learned the importance of meditation and I, I definitely perform better when I'm mentally and physically rested. So, you know, I've learned how to switch off and meditation and, taking a holiday and getting away from the tech and I'm better at home off the back of that as well, you know, kind of with the family and whatnot. So I think um, that would be something I learned. Uh, I've been probably overdoing it over the years and had the balance wrong. I've been that old school kind of, you know, the harder you work, the more hours you put in, the more success you'll have. And actually, you know what? Probably wrong. You've got to try and get the balance right. Probably be a lot happier. Um, I had a lot more success if I maybe dive into meditation earlier or, or, um, 
understood the importance of more breaks and taking holidays and getting away from it, you know. James obviously doesn't need any um, invites to go on holidays and breaks. He's always fishing and whatnot. So he obviously worked that out a lot earlier than me. Um, yeah. But um, I think also showing that vulnerability, there was times in March, April, where I really didn't have answers for the team, you know. And I was really scared and thinking, shit, what is going to happen? And showing that vulnerability and putting my hands up and saying to the team, like, I don't know. We're yeah. kind of working this out as we go. Just kind of bear with us and support us and trust us. And um, I think from the working from home point of view, I've definitely learned that that's just not for me. Like I need to be around people and I'm much more productive at home when I'm alone. I get more done, but I'm not happy. I need to be around people, you know? So uh, mm. there's people in the UK right now and you guys who were in Melbourne, I, like, I would have really, really struggled. Yeah, but we're tough. We're tough in Melbourne. We're tough, yeah. We battle through. Hey, tell me, how many, uh, how many times a week or day do you meditate? Do it twice for 20 minutes. So we had this guy come in called Tim. So I, I trained with this guy in the gym. Brown. CEO, high performer. Darren Holland runs a property company. And this guy's in the gym before me and he's up at four something. And I'm like, Darren, do you ever get tired? And he's like, no, I meditate. And it's just changed my life. And I, I never get tired because so I meditate. So he, he passed me on the details to a guy whose surname I can't remember. Tim Brown. Tim Brown. Tim Brown. Yeah. His, his brother lives on my street. Small That's world. right. Tim's this guru i think he learned from the guy who taught the, the beatles meditation and i think he's working with the wallabies now and stuff like that this guy is an absolute guru he's just twice a day 20 minutes switch off and i'm one of them whenever i've tried it before my mind would wander and then i'd punish myself during meditation so i was like oh you're such a dickhead why are you kind of letting your mind wander you're meant to be... and he was like no no you just smile to yourself and continue and focus on the breathing so now i'll train in the mornings and then i'll just kind of sit at manly beach with my back against the wall there on the sand with my sunnies on and uh, I'll do 20 minutes of meditation. And then in the afternoon, well, actually, this room I'm in now, we're going to create this and change this into a meditation room here at work because the staff, he came in and did a session with the staff and they all loved it. And um, yeah, so we're going to make it part of the coach, you know? So. Right, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to ring you at some point, get some tips because everybody, everybody keeps telling me that I need to get into meditation because the way my brain's wired, apparently I would benefit massively from, from meditation. I've tried a couple of times, but I, I keep fucking it up. Definitely. I want to get my kids into it as well. Cause like James, you know, our, our daughters, the school they're in and the pressure and my daughter's mad for a rowing and she decided she wants to be a doctor. So she's mad for kind of trying to study for that. And I think if, if education schools could do one thing, it would be get, get kids into this and start practicing it at school. You know, I think it's a game changer. Okay. You converted. converted. No. They've got no interest in it. No, they haven't. No. Like, come on. This is really good. Yeah. No, we're not doing it, dad. Like, yeah, but I was like that even a year ago. I was like meditation weirdos, like odds. But I'm on board now. You have to get yourself some linen pants. Now, James, we we all know that fishing yeah. fishing is your meditation. I meditate as well. Anyway, do I'm, you do you meditate? I've been meditating for years. Have you? Yeah, he's deep. He's spiritual, James. Transcendental. How is that different to what Simon does? I don't know what Simon does. Do you do transcendental? I just sit there. It's just like, it's a lot of it's the same. Basically just giving your brain and, and rest, isn't it? Yeah, basically. We have, he told me this, Tim Brown told me this, he said in two days we take in the same amount of information as what we would have took in in a lifetime 200 years ago. So imagine oh. that, that's your average person. 
think of what we're getting pushed at us constantly and like emails, technology, and traffic, and life. Like, it's full on, eh? Yeah. James Hone, what did you learn about yourself during COVID-19? Um, <clears throat> well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Simon that the, um, well, there's a lot of pressure like that. You do need to look after yourself and you can't, you can't just do like the physical exercise. I think you, you, you have to look after the mind. You can't just look after the mind and not the body. Like you have to do both. So that, that physical exercise and the mental, the meditation, those two things combined go a long way to um, making sure that you stay strong through a, you know, a very challenging period and you stay top of your game so you can give the best support to all the people that, uh, that rely on you as, you know, as a CEO. So I think that's getting that balance, like Simon said, I agree, is really important. Um, and the other one is, um, I would say, really listening to your people, like really listening and, yeah, making a real effort to empathise with everyone because everyone experiences COVID, uh, has experienced COVID very differently. It's important as a leader to understand that there is great diversity in the way people are dealing with it, experiencing it. And whilst you obviously have certain goals and things you want to, how you want to get the business through it, so important that you're bringing everyone along the journey and it's definitely not one size fits all. And I think probably, yeah, I've really had to listen a lot more intently than ever before. How hard is that? Listening is hard. Oh. It's really hard, actually. I mean, you've really got to take your own ego out of it and everything out. You've got to try and remove everything, all your beliefs and everything, and just listen right. to everyone and what, how they're experiencing it. And then, you know, you, the decisions you make and the communication around that needs to try and address everyone um, and what their experiences and how they're responding to things and yeah that's, um even if even if you don't hard. agree even if you don't agree with their opinion or their perception of a situation that's their experience right that's that's not, what they are going through you can't not agree with it because this mm -hmm. one's experience so you know you just have to accept that everyone's experiencing it differently and that's on a you know in many cases is different to how you're experiencing it so yeah i think in these cases it's very easy to sort of you know, talk to the people that are experiencing what you're experiencing and that just builds up your view on it. And then you sort of, what you're doing is that you're isolating your own view and not listening to everyone else's. And, yeah. you know, in some circumstances that can get you through, but in, you know, when there's a crisis and there's so, you know, there's health issues and so many different things that are at stake that, yeah, that ability to really, really listen, um, and empathize and then sort of yeah communicate with people accordingly yeah that was probably a big thing for me personally it doesn't come that easily to me being so unempathetic um james tell me simon's just been fairly honest about there were there were times when he kind of struggled and he was vulnerable and it sounds like there was a there was a couple of dark days for simon during covid what about you did you 
have any sleepless nights? Did you have any periods of grave concern? Or um, not, not sleepless. I, actually, the, the first six months for me personally were fine. Like, it was probably the last three months when we were trying to get more people back into the office. That was probably the hardest time, actually. And there was a few of them, like, you know, I'm just doing this acquisition. There was just so much going on. It was just like, bloody hell, you know, can't wait for Christmas. <laughs> well, chaps, thank you so much. It's a week, Pete. I mean, there's not a lot of fishing going on through COVID. How often do you fish? fish during COVID? There's more dogs, isn't there? But I wonder if there's more fish during COVID. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't really out that much. How often do you fish, James? Well, as much as possible, but um, I don't know. Like, yeah, when Kobe came along, I was working because I was working pretty much part time before that after the deal. I don't know. I was pretty much doing four or five days, five days a week. So, if I can, I'll do two days, two days fishing. Good man, good man. Well, chaps, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you very much for for coming on to recruitment journeys and telling us a bit more about yourself and telling us about what you've learned through COVID. Um, yeah. Glad to hear that you're both upbeat about the market. Glad to oh. hear that you both think 2021 is going to be massive. Bring it on. Just get us some good recruiters, Pete. Yeah, yeah. Based on this conversation, I might have to scrap the podcast and go back to my day job. I would. You're very, good at your, you're very good at your podcast. I think this TV show has got legs. Uh, but if you want some co-hosts, I think me and Simon are obviously, uh, you know, good choices. Hair and horn, or horn and hair. Horn and hair, yeah. One stands on the left, the other stands on the right. Google H. There you go. Thank you, chaps. Right. Best of luck for the rest of the year. And you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Recruitment Journeys podcast. Really hope you enjoyed it. Now, while we're passionate about bringing inspirational recruitment stories to our network via this podcast series, Recruitment to Recruitment is our bread and butter and our day job. So if you are a recruiter thinking about your next career chapter, which coincidentally forms part of your recruitment journey, see what I did there? We're always keen to have confidential discussions with recruiters about what's going on in the market. So please feel free to contact me in the strictest of confidence on 0432-666-701 or email pete at mintrecruitmentgroup.com. Thank you.